Welcome to this week's episode of A Regenerative Future. My name is Chris Hovde and every week I invite inspiring guests who all have in common that they act on the solutions to create an even more thriving world for all of us. Get ready to be inspired and get tons of concrete advice on how you can contribute to the, do the same. Today's inspiring guest is Tilman Stolte, which is the CEO of Future Leaders Global. Uh, that is a leadership community building a thriving world based on responsible action. And Tilman, I almost said your name correctly, hopefully, uh, as we practiced a couple of times before we started uh, in German ways. I had kind of three years of German or something in high school. But I'm really, really happy to be here. Uh, and you have been now a leader for Future Leaders Global uh, for a year. And I'm looking forward to digging into your learnings and everything uh, in between. But then first, letting the listeners get to know you a bit. So now you're passionate driving a community of future leaders all over the world. Uh, where in life and what was the key defining moments that got you to have a passion for changing the world through others? Wow, we're, we're starting with the easy questions. Um, yes, cool. Sure. Thank you. Thank you, first of all, for, for bringing me on here. Um, really a pleasure. And I think you, you said my name almost perfectly. Uh, I think uh, <laughs> you, you did it way better than, than many other people that I heard in Scandinavia, because usually it's the Stolte which I think means proud in, in like many different languages in Scandinavia. But um, yeah, Stolte is the very traditional way of saying it in German. So cool, appreciate it. Yeah, the big question, why did I end up in this space that I'm in right now? I think it's been a long journey for sure with many different coincidences, I would call them probably. Um, but I think like my, my, my whole backdrop in general is my parents are both professional musicians in the first place. So I grew up in a very, very creative environment and I always enjoyed this kind of open space, being with other people, um, working on interesting projects together. And I considered for a long time actually to become a professional musician, to become a professional drummer. And then that didn't turn out um, the way I wanted it to. And I decided, I think we're around like 18, 19 years old that I would turn my way more into the management space because I was the school president of my school when I was 17. And I noticed, oh, I'm kind of okay with people. Um, and then I thought maybe I'm just going to do music management or something like that. Um, and then Spotify came and crushed the whole music industry and then music management wasn't really an option anymore. And then I ended up in the innovation space and I ended up studying innovation management in Copenhagen. Um, so I moved from, from Munich in Germany to Copenhagen, um, with the intention to stay there for my master's for two years. And now I've been in Copenhagen for seven years. And I think one of the first crucial moments for me was actually my first year in my studies there, because I went to Slush, um, with just a big entrepreneurship conference in, in Helsinki in Finland. And I got there and I saw all of the different technologies that are actually there, um, autonomous vehicles and artificial intelligence and all kinds of different things. And I, I remember that I, that I stood there and I thought, this is insane. I didn't know that all of this is already possible. And I thought if more people would know actually what is already possible, we could basically uplift our like whole social average, like by, I don't know, 10 X or something <laughs> like that. And 
then based on that, I kind of like ended up in different communities and e ecosystems in the, in the different Nordic countries, among them Catapult Future Fest, which has a focus on like impact investing and how do we use technology for the good. And then after my master's, I started um, working for Singularity Nordic, which is a part of Singularity University. So how do we use exponential technologies to drive good in the world? Um, and then I really deep dived into that space. Like, again, how can we use gene editing, artificial intelligence, um, 3D printing in order to, yeah, do mm. good things in the world. And then around the same time I was, I was actually a participant in future leaders in Copenhagen. So I met a lot of different people that I had just awesome conversations with and they all told me, Hey, we've been part of this program, this leadership program, you should join that. And then I joined it and I really, really liked it. Like it really had, it really had a big impact on the way, how I think. Um, and then I, then I took some time a year later to really dive into sustainability and regeneration. Um, because mm -hmm. I could feel if we look at technologies, like many organizations we were working with at that time, also at singularity. We're more looking at how can we use AI for productivity gains. And I felt like that doesn't really work if we're looking at the problems that we're seeing in the world with climate crisis, planetary boundaries, social injustice, et cetera. So I had to take a step back and think about like, how can we use the climate crisis and all of these things and sustainability as an opportunity space for us to actually do something good. And, and mm -hmm. I had to acknowledge that I didn't actually understand all of it. So I, I didn't understand what is, what is the climate crisis? What are the big spaces? Um, what might be then solution spaces for that as well? And then I dove into that and really explored that. And I think this kind of journey, like taking a year to dive into all of these different topics, um, and then ending up in like regeneration and how can we then as people together drive change based on my future leaders experience, that was very pivotal for me as well. Um, and also has influenced a lot of the thinking that. I'm, I'm bringing into future leaders right now mm. and, um, and how we're running the organization as well. Yeah. So these were, I think some of the, some of the bigger points and I can go deeper into some of them if, if you want to, but. Of um... course you can. <laughs> 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 I know you like to talk. So, uh, but, uh, I would just like to tap into, because that's also the topic of this, uh, video cast, a regenerative future. So. If we first tap into kind of what's uh, regeneration to you? Well, regeneration, um, good question. Asking for definitions. That's always fun. <laughs> regeneration is building positive feedback loops in the world for me. So if we look at sustainability, then sustainability is basically how to sustain something, right? We're talking a lot about um, reducing carbon emissions in the air. Reduce, we're talking a lot about um, zero waste, but that's basically less of the bad things, right? And mm. less shit is still shit if I'm, if I'm blunt about it, right? Yeah. So I, I'm, I got a little bit aware of the fact that sustainability was a lot of greenwashing and not actually looking into the systems that are, that are behind it, right? Stop there a minute, like what's, uh, because I usually like to challenge that. What's the wrong thing about greenwashing? What's the wrong thing about greenwashing? Yeah, I love greenwashing. Yes. Um, that's a good point. I think now we can dive into different models. There is this model, the <laughs> three horizon framework, um, which basically talks about what is the reality that we're seeing right now? What is the future that we would want to see? And then what are bridging technologies or bridging, par mm. bridging paradigms that, that might connect the two. Right. Mm. And so I would see 
greenwashing as like a bridging paradigm. Yes, it is important that organizations at least start working start with sustainability. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But it shouldn't stop there, right? Like we and and for many, of it's a starting not. point in the journey. Yeah, but uh, of course not. But uh, what really kind of frustrates me is that people are doing their best to trying to do something. And it's probably not the right thing. It comes across as quite shallow, but like, let's not arrest them. Then they will just go back as a turtle into their shell again and never come out and do anything more. So we should kind of cherish all steps towards something greener, even just giving that commercial space for something completely surface artificial thing on uh, green emissions or whatever. It will still make other people more aware of it and then maybe have ripple effects in other ways. So I think the worst thing about the climate thing and people who are advocating for green things is kind of the over-perfectionism. And if you don't do any, everything right, uh, you're not on board. You're against us. Yeah, I agree. It's not an either or for me. I think it's a both and. And, it, and it's about taking people where they are, where their starting point is, and then working with them to wherever we want to go. Right. Um, and, and one of the points that you touched upon right now is like, we need to talk about the underlying systems because yes, people are trying, but then many people and many organizations are hitting a cap at some point, because if we don't look at the systems change and for example, organizations, what's the underlying business model? Well, if the business mm -hmm. model is oil, oil and gas, for example, then you can greenwash as much as you want. You're going to hit a cap <laughs> at some point because we know that we have the climate crisis and we know that we have to reduce like specific ways of working yeah. or like how we're using our resources. Right. So in that way, obviously these people working with a sustainability agenda and exposing their employees, but also their stakeholders to all of that makes a lot of sense. Right. But they yeah. also from a systems perspective have to reduce whatever they're doing because we're having planetary boundaries and we need to do or something about these actually things. actually kill their own business model, like H&M doing fast fashion and have one small sustainable collection. Are you freaking kidding me? Like that's painting lipstick on a pig. Can't you just kind of uh, change your whole ecosystem and the way you do business? And the same with IKEA, we come back and screw your things when you have destroyed them and kind of bought 10,000 cheap stuff that doesn't last for nothing. And then fixing a screw here and there will help the world. No, it's not going to do it. It's the volume that matters. So I think, yeah, both. And yes I agree. And. and I think, and I think for many organizations, it would be interesting to look at what is their original vision statement. For example, I think in IKEA's case, it is something about we want to enable better living or something around that. Right. And yeah, so it, it doesn't need furniture for the many I've been working there for 14 years. But is yeah okay maybe like um yeah but like if we would look at these <laughs> and then think about how could we take that guiding star or like that north star and then maybe rethink the way on how we operate based on I don't know circular economy or donut economics right like these new economic principles that actually take into account what kind of boundaries we have in the world because a lot of the economic theories that we use also in our like yeah. businesses in general they're based on 18th century assumptions but they don't take mm. into account a globalized world they don't take account into account how we as people behave like it's it's been quite interesting there is this book donut economics or that kind of theory around it and one of the ideas that kate warworth the author is talking about there is that we always think that people are rational, right? Like if you study business, you're, you're learning about the homo economicus that's always going to take rational decisions. 
and then look around you, like look around us. We're nothing like rational. We're like, we're like super emotional, um, people I'm that normal. are influenced by our, <laughs> but not economicus. <laughs> no, for sure not. You know, so like, how can we, how can we understand how we're influenced by the people around us, right? What our biases are. And then with that, basically going into how we can drive systems change. And that is essentially what we're doing with future leaders as well. Right. And you've yeah. been part of the program for like three, four times. You are chair of our board, right? Like, so you, you know that. Um, yeah. So that's probably with, a bit of a disclaimer. Uh, like I'm chair of the board and uh, the lucky <laughs> guy to uh, try to maneuver uh, the board and uh, also be a best of support for you too. So maybe we can then dive directly into that. Like, uh, how do you feel I'm supporting you in your role the last years? No, I think you're, you're doing a fantastic job. And I, I think I also told you that already a couple of times. Um, and almost it's, felt like it's, I was fishing for a good, uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, that's why, that's why I also <laughs> stopped thinking a little bit right now. Cause I was like, wait, is he, is he like trying to get a compliment? And like, we already talked about that, right? Like, am I, am I not communicating well enough that I really appreciate you? Um, no, for, for sure. For sure. I think when I, when I entered the organization, there's a couple of points that probably were quite interesting for me. The first one, our first meeting last year mm. was in January. And what we did was basically going into the sauna together. That was our first thing. And I remember we like, I came, the fuck? <laughs> I, that's, that's an, that's a, that's a very in-depth screening here that we're doing. Is that always like yeah. the onboarding in an organization or, <laughs> um, no, it was, it was super cool because it, it spoke to, it's, it's a very Scandinavian thing as well, right? Like that, the, that the hierarchies in that way are very flat and that also the way that especially you are working in your life is very much based on uh, people, right? Like you don't think about the roles you think about, Hey, like I'm, I'm going to just hang out with a person that I think is cool. And that's, that's going to drive some interesting impact in the world. And then it's about having that personal relationship. And so I very much appreciate that, that kind of like first starting point and developing that trust from the very beginning. And then throughout, it's like in the first couple of months, you, I think talk, you called me every second week and checked in how I'm doing and like, what's going on. Right. <laughs> For some reason, it's not as frequent anymore. So I'm not sure if you're just like reprioritizing or, but, um, it's no, a like strategy I, for 2023. No, I very much appreciate that. And I, I think it, that goes also for the whole board, um, that, I, I always had that perception of I, as a CEO, I will have to report to the board and I will have to like, just show my numbers and make sure that I'm hitting whatever targets or that we're aligning on the strategy and I have to fight my way through it. And it's the opposite way, right? Like you guys are coming to me and you're like, Hey, we think you have a great vision for this organization. How can we empower you to make that happen? And then you're pulling all kinds of like strings and, um, and really try to make that work and support me and the whole team, like the whole organization in, in that way. And I think that's, I, I'm, I was, I was surprised about that. And I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that as well, because I think it's a, obviously it's a beautiful way to work. Um, and, and it's about spending time with people that have way more experience than I do, and then learning from that wisdom and, and developing, mm. yeah, just like very, very nice and, and interesting relationships as well. So mm. yeah, I very mm. much appreciate that. How's it for I you? That, like, how, yeah, how, I think, how do you? No, I think that's uh, kind of summing up my kind of um, a bit of personal leadership philosophy as well. Um, I do the same in the other boards I'm part of. 
And even in one of the boards, uh, I was, of course, as a chairman, usually you get paid much more. Uh, but then I said, let's just split it on the full team. Let's uh, have equal pay uh, and let's contribute equally and work as a team instead. And then let's have fun. And then sometimes when we have achieved a lot, we go out and eat and like kind of bond. I think I want to work with friends. But then, of course, that's more the psychological safety part, but also uh, with friends and people say you can't treat them like your friends. Yes, I can, because I treat my friends equally. I expect something from a friendship. I expect that we both contribute to it and make it grow uh, and it contributes to value into the friendship. Otherwise, I will also let you go like I would with a member of a company. And I think that's something we should kind of accept and cherish uh, and see more as natural. If we're done contributing, performing at our best, it's probably not the right place for me. Uh, and we know that people thrive more when they have a lot of accountability. And then the other thing is like, why should we kind of be so formal, try to be something else? If we can bond on a deep personal level, all research supports that will perform better together, be a more high performing team. And we as a board are not here to make you afraid. We are here to make you flourish, feel safe, supported, get a good onboarding uh, and so on. Then it makes our life easier and your, your life easier. And then we will make more impact together, basically. Yeah, no, I fully agree. And it's about coming together as people and then I got reminded now that I think in many organizations, it is still the case that people come in and they say, these are my colleagues and these are not my friends. And like, I don't owe people. I just do my job and then I leave again. And then on the other hand, they feel like, well, with my friends, I, I don't have these difficult conversations. It's just like all so much easier. And I think that's not the right way. Right? Like, I think we, we can that have not friends. Yeah, like we can have difficult or like deep conversations yeah. with anyone. It, it shouldn't, it shouldn't exactly. Then it's superficial. It shouldn't just be like all, yeah, all easy or, um, yeah, yeah, there's a part to it. And I think there, like, it's it, also in our case, right? Like, if we look at us, kind of, we, we have a shared passion for creating a better world if we're like breaking it down mm -hmm. to like something very, very simple, right? And then based on that common passion, we start hanging out, we start working on different projects together. And then there's a friendship that is developing on that based on like a mutual interest, based on different conversations that might also be difficult conversations, right? Which is part of life, right? Co like communication and different difficult conversations is part of life. And I wouldn't want to miss that either. And um, I, I get reminded that many people then have that understanding of, oh, I go into the office and then I'm something else, then I'm a different mm. person. And I think that is, it, it, it's, it's almost heartbreaking. And I, especially, I don't know, I'm I, like, literally I'm talking to people yeah. and they're like, yeah, but like, can I do that in my workplace? Can I just mm. be, can I just say what I think and feel? And I'm like, well, yeah, sure. You should like, you, you, you're going there as yeah. a person, right? It's, it's, it's crazy if you can't. Insane. People are like, can I be a human being? Like, it shouldn't even be a question. I would really, is that appropriate? Now. Yeah. And being professional is kind of a word I just want to like to remove from the dictionary. But I saw a LinkedIn post that said, you shouldn't call your uh, employees family and you shouldn't be friends with them. And I was like, okay, that's how you treat your family. I treat my family as setting expectations towards them. I uh, kind of cut the bonds if we're not contributing to anything positive together. Uh, I expect... Uh, 
equally a month and maybe even more because it's my family that we treat each other with respect. We have a nice time when we come together. We are honest, authentic, and uh, sometimes brutally and are able to go through conflicts together and so on. If it's not a productive mm. relationship, I don't care if you're family or not, or colleagues or friends or whatever. It's all about that deep, meaningful connection. And I think there, there's an interesting point in that. And I remember that article as well. I saw that, I saw that too. And it was about that family. If, if people in an organization feel as a family, they have difficulty leaving work and just going home and disconnecting. Right. And I think the underlying problem there is not that they feel as part of something bigger, which I think is very, very positive. Actually, mm. the problem there is that people don't know how to set boundaries and, and no, don't communicate with the exact, like their, their um, managers or their colleagues around what is good for them and how they can productively work together. Right. Yeah. And it's, for me, it's way more important than to figure out how can we improve these team dynamics again, like how, how am I as a person, how do I interact with others and then have a conversation around how do we now with these kind of capabilities and different ideas in a team, how can we move forward? towards achieving whatever we want to achieve as an organization. Yeah. And yeah. if we then have a family feel and we like each other and we're comfortable and we go to the sauna, et cetera, like, that's an amazing thing. But when you talk about it, I actually think that people don't know how to be by themselves. And that's the problem because they put their whole identity then into work, family. And I have a more kind of Buddhistic kind of uh, connection to it. I love my family, uh, but I don't have a addiction to them and kind of, I accept that people are born, will die, that uh, will sometimes get fired, sometimes lose a job, sometimes gain a job, sometimes get a new friend. People will move in and out your life as a more organic thing instead of, I need to keep them forever. I think that kind of uh, craving and aversion is one of the big problems here. Because I have no problem in losing a family member or losing a friend because it's going to come a new one. Well, it's maybe not going to come a new one if it's your mom, for example, but like, I get the yeah, point but you can as get mothership in... from many people. Like it's not the mom in itself, like an object, it's the love and tender care. And I can get that from many places. If my mom wasn't loving and caring, I would just find that somewhere else. Who cares? I get, I get the idea. Yeah, I get, I get the idea. I think it's, it's a, yeah, but, it's a provocative but I love statement. My mom and I endlessly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's a yes. And yeah, yeah, I agree to that. Like, how do you find then that space for yourself? Like, how do you set these boundaries and how do you sit in, in yourself as a being and, and you being comfortable with that? I think that's what many people struggle with as well. Right. How do you do that? Mm. I think I realized this after 14 years in Ikea and I was kind of, uh, agreed to live in a bit of a conflicty way, um, and didn't get to say goodbye in a proper way and so on. Um, as a leader, you sometimes just need to leave. And then I realized I put all my identity for 14 years into my role, into the company. And that was who I am. And of course it felt like most parts of me died and I w couldn't see myself anywhere else. So I almost got into kind of a short, uh, small depression, but then I realized you shouldn't put all your, um, uh, fruits in one basket. 
how can I, like I do today, I have Tela on the day, I have three boards, I'm now going into another fourth board, I'm sitting in a, kind of a, running a company, running different creative things, uh, working a bit voluntarily. So I have so many baskets. So if I move one kind of apple away or lose a banana, it doesn't affect me that much. And I think people also do that with people like, oh, I have this best friend, she's the whole world to me then you're not risk managing your life because she's probably going to go away when she's pissed because you looked at her boyfriend or something else. So I how think do you, yeah. How, how, how do you prioritize these different things? Right? Because now you're describing like seven, eight different project spaces and that, that is just the project work. Right. And then you have your private life with your friends and like no chilling and life. I don't know, no private, no private life. life. I know, <laughs> I know for a fact that you have a private life. So, <laughs> I so I'm just curious how you prioritize that. Right. Oh, that's a good question. Suddenly the tables turned, uh, Ooh. no, the way I prioritize it is that I'm quite clear at putting down boundaries. What's important for me. Uh, so I can work, uh, an intense week like this week, but then I have no plans this weekend. Uh, and I will totally just kind of walk my dog, get out in the sun, drink, uh, took a bike ride this morning, do a bit of work, but really deep resting. So I have a lot of energy to um, do deal with the rest of the week. But then I also optimize and stack a lot of things. So I can meet friends and do workouts. I take my dog to the store when I'm buying groceries. I'm not kind of doubling up on things, but putting them on top of each other. So I do it simultaneously and then I buy myself mm. out of things. So I don't cook, uh, I don't clean, uh, and everything's automized. So I save a lot of time and uh, things with that. I'm really clear in my communication. I only answer via messengers in some way, teams or others, short, crisp, yes, no, uh, Hey, can't, this is not my prioritization right now. Uh, three to five must wins uh, every quarter uh, and then deal with the most important things and set boundaries. I think that's um, it. And then to have that capacity, I think the importance is kind of, I never down prioritize the fundamentals. So sleep, exercise, water, all the things I need, uh, that comes first. I can actually drop some work if I need to, uh, need to, yeah. Cool. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I think it's a bit of a funny thing because if you say you don't cook, uh, and I'm remembering that you hosted these like weekly dinners, what did you do? Did you cook then? Or did you just like order yeah, food in and then you had like different guests? Sorry. Sense. So, so I make nutrition. So I, I'm not caring about shopping list, having a, a recipe. I just buy everything ecological and then I like, it's more intuitive. So I also do intuitive fasting. Sometimes I eat once a day, I can forget to eat. Uh, mm. and the same thing with exercise and meditation. Mm, oh, now I feel for a bit of meditation. So it just flows and I do where the energy goes basically. And but I think one of the, a of... bit back to you now, Raquel, <laughs> because I want to go back to, um, <laughs> we should probably do an hour because this is gonna, never going to stop. Uh, but going back to you have now been a year for future leaders. What is your kind of uh, main learnings, uh, that first year? Oh, that's a good one. Um, the first one that came to my mind was, uh, team is key. I think that is, that is so clear understanding what are the right people in the right roles and how to create a space where people feel empowered 
to work on what gives meaning to them and that that mm. at the same time then also taps into what is the the vision of the organization mm. um and so i think with that like we're super lucky because the people that are part of future leaders um per default are very driven people and very reflective people and Absolutely. so i'm lucky i'm lucky to have these people then on the team because it makes communication way much either it's it's I don't, I don't have anyone saying at 5 PM, like, oh, like I'm not going to drop in the middle of a task, something because whatever, uh, it's just a job. Um, they're, they're going to be mindful of their time and how they do it. And they're going to set their own boundaries and then also say, well, as you've said right now, right. Hey, like, I'm not feeling great today. I might need a walk first. Can we move that meeting or something? So yeah. like, it's, it's a bit more fluid. It's an agile way of working. And it, it really is based on who are we as people, who are we as a team? So that's like team is key um definitely and then i think for myself like this role obviously with the responsibility of being the ceo of an organization um i needed i needed to learn that and i think it's an ongoing process right what are my own boundaries in that um how do i structure my time how do i overcome specific biases that I might have, or if I'm not comfortable doing something, how do I lean into that? Even though I am afraid of, I don't know, whatever it might be. Right. Um, and that might be like things such as, uh, being on a public panel for the first time. Right. Like, and I know that I was shit scared about that in the first time, even though I have been publicly speaking before, but yeah. there's something about representing an organization as well. Right. Before I was more speaking as a private person. And now there is this addition of, Hey, I'm, I'm also responsible for like the narrative mm -hmm. and the story of this organization. And I, I just want to make a good job in that. And I want to make sure that people understand what we're trying to but achieve I'm, in the world. I'm still a shitty scared, even though I do it many times a week. Uh, so sometimes <laughs> I'm still shitty scared. So I think it's also about accepting. It's not normal for a person to sit in front of 3000 people and share their opinion without feeling a sense of kind of, uh, I can actually be judged and that can feel uh, not so good. I agree. And I think that is, that is exactly the learning that I had to take that I can feel now, when do I feel uncomfortable and is that okay? And how do I then still like, how do I move through the first five minutes or two minutes of like being not okay with that situation and trusting myself that it's going to be okay afterwards. Yeah. And I, I'm getting reminded of Brittany Brown. And for people who don't know her, um, she's doing research on vulnerability. She has one of the most viewed TED talks on the, in the world. Um, and she's 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 talking in her book um dare to lead um in the very beginning about that she's still also scared when she's publicly speaking and then she says well obviously i should be because people are giving me the most the most valuable thing that they can offer their time so i'm gonna be always afraid or like concerned and i will always mm -hmm. want to be uh doing a good job in that space and i can very much relate to that and then it's then it's uh -huh. just about accepting that there is this discomfort and i know now that i'm just going to lean into that discomfort whatever it's going to be and i'm just going to try yeah. stuff i'm yeah. just going to iterate forward i'm going to ask people like you for help and support so that i don't do stupid mistakes for example mm -hmm. and i think that was one of my biggest learnings as well for for that role that i didn't expect it to be so personal right like my way of how i'm <laughs> feeling how i'm thinking yeah. has so yeah. many has has so much impact on the team on the people on the strategy right yeah what i dare to do or what i don't dare to do might decide the direction of what, what we're doing right 
and mm. I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that as much. So, but it's a, it's an awesome journey. I'm learning so much and I love to learn and, uh, yeah, That's so cool. it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and if we're going to connect it back to the beginning, because we're getting too close. Um, so I would like to connect back to you as a person. What do you think we can, uh, or the listeners can learn from, uh, drum playing when it comes to regeneration? Oh, thank you for, thank you for throwing that in. I think playing the drums for me, it has so many different layers, um, that just give me joy. And so I think that's the first point, joyfulness and doing things that just give us a good feeling in that moment. Right. And like joyfulness is like, I'm always being asked, what's the difference between joyfulness and happiness and joyfulness is what I'm perceiving in that, in that very much that very moment right now. And happiness is more over a long period of time, basically. Um, and so like, how can we have more joy? There's this fantastic book. I might even have it here. Yeah. Joyfulness, our joyful <laughs> Ingrid Fatale, different ways on how we perceive joy in our life. And, and just being mindful of that, um, I think is something that I've learned. And that is something that drums has also taught me and then getting into flow mode. Um, when I'm playing a beat, like I can play the same drum beat for like half an hour and I can just, it's like a meditation. And it's just, I'm moving my body. I'm listening to it. Right. Um, I'm, I'm feeling the groove. I'm being in flow mode. That is, that is such an amazing feeling. And then the third point, I think with drums, if we're going beyond me, just playing the instrument, it's about being part of a band. And I played in different bands my whole life. Like we, we had a band in Munich. They, they still exist. They still play. I just had to <laughs> transition out <laughs> at some point because I, yeah. I was always like, yeah, guys, I'm going to come back after Copenhagen and I'm going to play with you again. And now it's seven years later. Sure. And I think, uh, we, we actually, um, our guitar player, he, um, married a Mexican woman in November and we all went over to Mexico and then we played a gig at their wedding, which was awesome. Like it was yeah. so cool. It was so beautiful. And that's what I mean, like playing in a band, listening to other people, right? Like I, as a drummer has to have to listen to the bass player, to the guitar player, to the singer. We all have to kind of constantly listen to each other, play the song together yeah. and, and enjoy that process in the very moment. Like it takes an immense amount of presence, which cool. I really, very much enjoy. Yeah. I'll let that be the last words of today. Uh, so maybe the advice for the listener is to kind of see what you're doing uh, with joy and can just do continuously for 30 minutes. And how can you take elements of that also into your job and what you're doing for a living and then surround yourself with amazing people that you need to play together and then also be uh, present in the things you're doing. I think that's wonderful advice still. Thank you for joining us today, Till. Uh, I will talk with you for hours, but could also do that here today. But we'll end here uh, and let's see if we meet again in this format also later. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much. And thank you to all the listeners out there to the videocast, A Regenerative Future, and for your contribution to a more thriving world. Until next time, see you again and goodbye.